0: Welcome to Belly of
3: Sports, MD's Fantasy Football Show.
4: Now, for your host,
5: Dan Mater, And welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. We are back, and as always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We're talking about the MD's Fantasy Football Show. We're talking about Seattle. We're talking about the Raiders. We're talking about the Lions. And we're talking about the Ravens in today's show. And of course... We have some great insider guests for you that we've been doing for the team profiles. But instead of having four for each team today, we only have three. We have Vincent Bonsignor for the Raiders from the Las Vegas Review Journal. We have Frank Bonacontri of the Fantasy Wire coming on to talk about the Ravens. And last but of course not least, we have Dave Burkett talking about the Detroit Lions from the Detroit Free Press. I'm very happy to have all of them on. Very excited they agreed to come on today. The reason we didn't get a Seattle one to kick things off on the show is because my projections are pretty much done. Now, they're not up on the website yet. And remember, in order to find my projections and rankings when they publish, it's going to be up on the Belly Up Fantasy Sports dot com website right now we do have the belly up writers consensus rankings that you can go up there and look at to see where the consensus rankings from the belly up fantasy sports department are at right now that you can enjoy but once my projections and rankings they'll be up there i'm hoping by the latest uh the beginning of next week the projections themselves are done I'm just going through the tier rankings and of course the overall rankings themselves both will become available to you on the website. And I kind of want to go over the Seattle Seahawks and give you a taste of some of the things that I have in place and get you an idea of how these projections and rankings look just by going through uh, the Seahawks here. So we're going to talk about that in a minute, but just to keep you guys reminded that we have the MD nation hotline for you 609-362-2480. As soon as this team profile series is done about late July, we're going to go back to our normal shows where we're talking about just fantasy, uh, fantasy perspectives. We're not going to have guests on so much. And we're going to have time for a mailbag segment. So once that happens, you're going to be able to call in, leave your question, leave your comment, leave your rant, and you're going to be able to get on the show and responded to by me. Just leave it there, leave a voicemail, and I'll be, I'm will i going to put you guys on the show and respond to you here. So that, remember, that phone number is 609-362-2480. But that's not the only way that you can get your questions answered by me on the show. You can Tweet at me, at Show, or of course on Facebook from the same username, at Show. Either way, I will respond to you very, very quickly. That's number one. But number two, I will also put your questions on the show during the mailbag segment. So make sure you're taking advantage of that. The one last way that you can get a hold of me, if you prefer, is by direct email, mdsfantasyfootball at gmail.com. So those are all the ways that you can get a hold of the show. Even if it's not a fantasy comment, if you want to have feedback on the show, Show, send it to me there I'll respond to you I'll engage with you I'm all about the MD Nation you guys are the ones that make this show worth doing in the first place so make sure you go ahead and checking that out so with the Seattle Seahawks that we kind of want to talk about, there's a lot of things to get into, right? We have Russell Wilson. We have Chris Carson. And now the new acquired Carlos Hyde, along with, uh, you know, what's Rashad Penny's outlook going to be? What's Tyler Lock and DK Metcalf's outlook going to be? What's the tight end situation with bringing Greg Olson going to be? There's a lot of things to talk about here when it comes to the Seattle Seahawks. And going through the projections here just to kind of give you guys a little bit of a taste uh, especially when it comes to let's start off with a quarterback position right let's start off with Russell Wilson now with him, I actually have him pretty high up there. Not to be surprised with anything, he's been pretty consistent uh, so far in the last you know few years of fantasy football, and I have him as the number four quarterback heading into this year, right behind Dak Prescott, who I do have at number three. You can guess who the one and two are, and we'll talk about that later, or you'll be able to see them when they're published on the website, uh, hopefully next week. So in Russell Wilson's case, remember last year the you know the narrative going into the season was he's. He's terrible in September, and he had been pretty much every single year up until that point. You knew if you drafted Russell Wilson that you were taking him for that stretch run towards the end of the season. You were going to have to suffer through that first four to six weeks, and then you would get elite-level fantasy production out of the quarterback position after that. Well, he kind of uh, reversed the script a little bit last year, right, because he went back to, hey— he was great in the beginning of the season. I mean, he was he was competing with Lamar Jackson and, and Patrick Mahomes to be that QB1 in the beginning of the season. And then he fell off at the end of the year. It was very, very odd. It was very it was very reverse from what we had seen out of him on a consistent basis leading up until that point. What I have for him though is at the end of the day, you know. He's going to produce the top five quarterback. You know, if you take him, you're going to finish with a top five quarterback at the end of the day. You have to hope, obviously, that he's playing his best football to, one, get you in the playoffs, but two, getting it, you know, playing through the playoffs well, because uh, otherwise you wind up losing it as a result. But he's a guy who is in a situation that I think the Seahawks are going to throw a little bit more of the time. I actually only have him really, it's only eight more attempts going into this year. Uh, being that they signed Carlos Hyde, That really kind of gave me the assurance that they are going to keep a similar game set to what they had last season. So they have two running backs that they can kind of lean on. They don't have to worry about if Chris Carson goes down, what do we do now at the running game position? Because remember, Rashad Penny is going to probably start, not probably, he is going to start the season on the pup list. And even after that, we don't know exactly when he's going to come back. I only have him projected for eight games this season. And, of course, he has to miss six if he starts the pup list. But remember, it was late in the year when he suffered his injury. And I have a hard time imagining that it's going to take less than a year, especially for a guy like Rashad Penny, who's never really been in the best shape when it comes to the running back position, that he's going to somehow get ahead of that schedule. I don't see it. it just, I, not, not with that type of player. Not with him specifically. If it was somebody else, maybe we could see it. But not with Rashad Penny. So I don't know if he comes back before December. So it could be even less than eight games. But right now, I have projected for eight games, and I have him pretty much being a non-factor altogether. Chris Carson, they've reported time and time again, is going to be healthy enough for week one. So as long as that winds up being the case, I don't see any reason why it's going to be too much different than last year. Remember, it wasn't until later on in the season Rashad Penny got some work here and there, but it was very, very spotty. And for the most part, they were just feeding Chris Carson the ball. And I kind of expect it to be the same situation with Carlos Hyde i I have them pretty much on a 70 30 split give or take, you know, with other running backs getting mixed in there, Travis Homer and uh, DJ, who they drafted. But I don't expect much out of either one of those guys outside of special teams. I don't think that's going to be something that they're regularly involved with. I think this is Chris Carson's backfield. And that includes in the receiving game. And I'm a lot higher on him. Now, when we go through these projections on the podcast, I'm talking to you about it from a half-point PPR uh, perspective because that seems to be becoming the standard industry uh, essentially it's that it's that nice middle ground between what used to be the standard industry which was standard leagues and of course full point ppr which is getting very popular at this point but that half point ppr seems to be the way the industry the standard for the new standard for the industry is going to be at least for the next couple of years it might eventually go up to one point ppr so but when we're talking about projections and rankings on the actual show itself we're going to be talking about from a half point ppr standpoint I'm going to have standard half-point and, of course, full-point available to you guys when we go through the tiers and the rankings and the projections on the website, bellyupfantasysports.com. Uh, so just keep that in mind. Having said all that, with Chris Carson, I have him running back 17 in the half-point PPR leagues because he's going to get receptions. He's going to be worked in at that point. I have him for 256 yards receiving. I have him for uh, about 31 receptions. And I have him for uh, about a touchdown or two in the receiving game. Now, not huge, but that's enough with his rushing production to put him up there. And also keep in mind, and I didn't mention this, but I should have in the beforehand, but keep in mind, I only have him projected for 14 games. I don't think you can project Chris Carson to go 16 games. And I'm pretty sure everybody would probably agree with that at this point. I mean... He was definitely more healthy last season than he had been previously, too. But this is still a guy you have to expect is going to miss at least two to three games at some point during the season. Now, you hope it's not during your most crucial time in the playoff run. uh, But there's no guarantee. But you have to count that there's going to be a couple games missed in there. That's why he falls to running back 17 for me. Otherwise, if he didn't have that concern, if he was going to play 16 games, there's a very good chance where we're talking about him in the running back 13-14 that very, very high-end RB2, almost borderline RB1 territory if we knew he was going to play 16 games. And his receiving production would go up from a result as that as well. But, like I said, as it stands right now, I have him as the RB17. He's somebody you can lean on. I have him going over 1,000 yards. I have him for at least 6-7 to rushing touchdowns. This is somebody you're going to be able to lean on game in, game out. We know he's going to get somewhere between that 16-20 to carry mark, which is what you're looking for out of a workhorse. Uh, So, a lot of great things about Chris Carson. I think a lot of people are sleeping on him. I don't have the ADP in front of me right now exactly where he's going in the universal average of leagues. We're going to have more of that when we get into our our, our top five, um, sleeper five, bus five series that we'll do for a few weeks in the beginning of August as we get you ready for your drafts doing that. And we'll talk about more about their ADP versus where I have them ranked in projections. And of course, these are going to be updated as we get new information as well. Uh, but Yeah, he's somebody that you have to be paying attention to. He's definitely, he's a solid RB2 who has potential. That's the number one factor. A solid RB2 who has potential, and everybody needs to take that into consideration. Okay, so... After Chris Carson, you want to talk about, well, what about with Carlos Hyde? And like I said, I have about 30%, but really Carlos Hyde to me is nothing more than a handcuff. This is not a situation where you can play both running backs. Like I said, I think Chris Carson, this is his backfield. I do think they're going to open things up a little bit more. The emergence of DK Metcalf, having Tyler Lockett, we'll see who that third receiver really winds up being as we get in the training camp. I mean, there's still a possibility they could wind up bringing Josh Gordon back. So we just don't know yet as of now, but Carlos Hyde is expected to be great as as a handcuff. he's going to be one of my top handcuffs that you can you can own. Like I said, you you know Chris Carson is going to miss 2 to 3 games. We've seen Carlos Hyde be competent. He had a very very solid season with the Houston Texans as their lead back last year and we know they just brought him in at the last second because all of a sudden they didn't want to go with Duke Johnson uh as their featured guy. So Carlos Hyde, we know, is competent. If he gets thrust into that role, I think he fits the Seattle system very, very well. I think he'll be able to produce on an RB2 level if he winds up in a situation where he's getting a bulk of the carries. So I'm not big on drafting handcuffs uh, unless it's a situation where you absolutely have to. Carson's not a situation where you absolutely have to, to me. A, a situation where you have to is like a Dalvin Cook situation. I feel like you have to a Dalvin Cook because you know that last year was his most most healthy year. That was the first year he got through without a soft tissue injury. He still wasn't able to play a full 16 game season as he got injured with something else. But he's a situation where because he's going to be a first round type of guy, I feel like you have to make an effort to draft Alexander Madison at some point just to protect your first round investment. Because Chris Carson is somebody right now that you can kind of get in that third, fourth round territory as a solid RB two. because I only, I only have him missing two games in my projection, I wouldn't call Carlos Hyde a handcuff that you have to draft. But it is something to kind of keep in mind, depending how your roster works out, the big thing that I think uh, I'm going to catch a lot of people's attention on, especially when these rankings uh, get published, is that Tyler Lockett is in my top 10. And I, that, I, I'm going to be honest with you, it surprised me. I didn't expect him to be that high for me in half point PPR, but he is. And right now, I actually have him as the number nine wide receiver overall in half point PPR leagues. Now, keep in mind, Tyler Lockett was a top five receiver. Up until he got hurt, he was as consistent as could be as well. He had over 100 targets last year. There's no reason that's not going to happen again this season. And while he didn't miss a game last year, when he came back after that injury, you watch the film, you see he was not the same player. I don't think he was the same player again until the playoffs where he started to look like he was getting his explosion back a little bit. He was not the same exposed player off the line of scrimmage. And that led to DK Metcalf getting his surge uh, later on in that season, getting his time to shine. That's what we saw there. So Tyler Lockett, man, I got him going for, uh, I'm trying to read, 119 targets here, 84 receptions, over 1,100 yards, and eight touchdowns on the year. All numbers that he would have hit last season had he not gotten injured, I believe. And, and not really that much. It's not a huge jump from what he did a season ago. So it's very much in the realm of possibility. Is very much a a reasonable projection, a reasonable expectation, which is what these projections come come down to be. And it puts him at wide receiver 9. There's so many good wide receivers this year. There's so many guys that we can project over 1,000 yards, getting close to that 1,100-yard mark. But in this offensive system, especially now that Tyler Lockett gets to play the slot more, it really helps with his consistency. He used to be an inconsistent guy. He used to be a boom or bust type of wide receiver. He's not that guy anymore. With, with DK Metcalf and then playing another third receiver on the outside, when they go through receiver sets, they have Lockett working from the slot. He's getting those shorter intermediate targets that he wasn't getting before. He still has the explosiveness to go deep. So that that's that's what I like so much about him his versatility and the fact that you know Russell Wilson he is going to be the number one target for Russell Wilson by the time the season is over. It's not going to be DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf I still expect to be really really good, but he's not going to be the number one targeted guy. And I was reading something the other day how right now DK Metcalf's ADP actually has him a full round earlier than Tyler Lockett at the moment and that is a big mistake. It is a big mistake. Not so much because I don't think DK Metcalf can't be good. Not so much because I don't think DK Metcalf doesn't have the possibility of returning that value for you in that fifth or so round, but because there's no reason you should be taking Metcalf over the guy who's definitely going to be the lead targeted receiver for the same team. No reason for it. It it has to be flipped. It has to be the other way around as we got dropping things all over the place here, (laughs) but it that's what it has to come down to. So that is why I say with with the way things are going right now, you have to go with Tyler Lockett a little bit ahead. Now, as far as DK Metcalf goes, uh, we have him at wide receiver. I'm trying to see it now. Uh, we have him as but the wide receiver three territory at the moment. Uh, so we do have him at wide receiver 28. So, yeah, puts him right there, top-end wide receiver three. We have him for, you know, just over 100 targets, 104 targets, about 67 receptions, 974 yards, and about seven touchdowns. That could be a little bit on the low side. I wouldn't be surprised if he got over that 1,000-yard mark. I wouldn't be surprised if he was able to get over that 70-reception mark. I think the targets are right on point of where he's going to be, and it's just going to be a matter of does he correct those drops in year two. He's unguardable as far as a physical matchup goes, so I'm not necessarily worried about defenses adjusting to him too much. They can't really because, like again, he's going to be the second targeted wide receiver. You still have to pay attention to Tyler Lockett. So I like DK Metcalf a lot. He's going to be a guy that I love taking as my top end wide receiver three, taking him as a flex guy, taking him as a guy who could be a league or, or should, should a, a league winner week in or week out. He could catch fire. He, he's going to be that wild card factor for you that you're going to be able to get in that fifth, sixth round. Expect decent production out of. But I just wouldn't take him over Tyler Lockett at the end of the day. The tight end situation is a little bit trickier, right? Because we have, you know, they signed Greg Olson, but they still have, you know, Jacob Hollister. They still technically have uh, Will Disley, who performed well when he got his opportunities. We'll see how that's all able to work out and everything like that. But as it stands right now, I probably just wouldn't touch the tight end situation of the Seattle Seahawks that much at the moment. Uh, Craig Greg Olson, when he's healthy, I do expect him to be the starter. I do expect him to be the main focus, focal guy. Uh, and if that up ends up happening, he could be that tight end, too, who could be a streaming option for you. But he's not somebody I'm going to draft because we know Craig Olson's not going to play 16 games. And, I mean, I projected him for 12. I think that's being generous on my part to project him for the, for that many games. I think it would be a surprise if he even got that high. But we know that the number one starting tight end for the Seattle Seahawks does have... Does have some value. Uh, the they do. They're going to have some volume. They're going to have a chunk of that offense go their way. So they're streaming worthy, but that's about it. And the same thing goes for the defense. Now the defense in a situation right now where they could take a step up. They have some young talent. Uh, I do think that they were they weren't quite ready last year. A lot of people were hyping up higher than they they really should have went in the first place. I have them as my 13th defense overall, so I'm going to have them more in that streaming territory, which is where I think they should go. But because of the young young core that they have, because of some of the additions that they've made, especially when it comes to pass rush, I do think this is a sleeper defense, where if you like their talent to take that next jump up this season, it may not be a bad way to go. But it's not something I'm going to necessarily uh, count on to definitely uh, propel them forward. So just something to kind of keep in mind there. That gives you a little bit of taste of how my projections are looking uh, through the Seattle Seahawks, and there'll be more to come on on that. And I can't wait to be talking to you guys. I can't wait to be back to, really honest, I can't wait to be back to just having the show by myself. I'm a little bit greedy in that way. But these interviews have been have been priceless and, and really needed, and I don't want to take that away from you guys. And the insider information is really helping prepare MD Nation for this. So keep listening. We're going to have that. We're going to have... Um, Vincent Bonsignor on the other side of this. But first, before we get into that, we have a new sponsor that I do want to talk to you guys about called Hubble Podcast app. Now, it's a rate or review uh, podcast app. So you can rate and review this episode. And it's the first listening app that allows you to rate and review podcast episodes. So you can you can download the app. You can listen to the show through this app. And then you can rate and review it and give us feedback. It's another direct way that you can talk to us. Uh, You can look for it on the App Store, the Google Play Store. You can give them a follow on social media at Hubble Podcast App. That's H-U-B-L Podcast App. Uh, all the level, you ratings and reviews, and there, it's really a game changer for us as the creators and for you as the listeners, because like I said, it's a direct contact between you and this show, direct feedback, and you can kind of let us know like what are some things that you would like to see us improve upon, or what are some things that maybe we're not covering as much that you would like us to. All that's available to you from the Hubble Podcast app, so download it today. Now, next up, we have Vincent Bonsignor on the other side talking about the Raiders. All right, MD Nation. We got a special guest for you guys on the line talking about the Raiders. He is the Raiders beat writer. He is the Vegas Nation reporter all for the Las Vegas Review Journal. You can follow him on Twitter at Vinny Bonsignor. Vincent Bonsignor on the line. How are you doing today?
3: I'm doing good. How are you guys doing?
5: We're doing great. We are, uh, you know, making the best of the situation, obviously. Uh, Here on the East Coast, here in New Jersey, things are a little bit more locked down than uh, most places, but we're staying healthy. Have you been able to do the same?
3: Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, it's so interesting. Uh, my family and I got here to Las Vegas from California right after the Super Bowl in February. And, you know, the kids were just getting started in school, uh, you know, making the transition. And within a month or so, boom, the whole thing, uh, you know, pandemic hits and it just turned everybody's life upside down. And, you know, uh, the kids had to start going to school from home and and, and everything. And it was so stark seeing um, like the strip, uh, as dead as a door now, just completely locked down, uh, for, for those months, um, you know, when, when it was really, really hairy, uh, it was sad because you knew that, you know, there were so many people that were affected, not just the health wise, but from a jobs perspective, uh, you know, this town thrives on tourism and the casinos and restaurants and everything that, you know, all the attractions on the strip and to see that closed down the way it was, was pretty sad. It's good to see that it's getting back up and running, uh, but, you know, definitely need to be careful uh, as as we open back up. Um, I think we're seeing some numbers that, you know, uh, it's hard to interpret them. I'm not an expert so I don't know um, how bad it is, how good it is or where this is all headed, but um, I'm hoping and praying for a safe landing here pretty soon.
5: Yeah, I mean especially being out there in Vegas, I mean the whole the whole economy is is built on tourism and and uh, and for the most part people still aren't really leaving the states too much, but you know, step one, get things open back up again, especially on the strip, man. You need all the lights. You need all the actions. The whole reason you're there.
3: Exactly. And, you know, those first few, well, I, I you know, I, we, the, my family and I drive down there uh, periodically. Um, you know, we're about 15 minutes away. It's further enough. You would never know that you were actually in Las Vegas where we live, but it's close enough to get to uh, very, very easily. Um, and so when it opened back up, we went down there and, and you know, it was definitely, it felt like Las Vegas again. Um, uh, you know, so, and a lot of out of counters are coming in. You know, you can tell the, the people from California are driving up the 15 down here. The, the More planes were coming in, are coming in. So it, it is reawakening, uh, but I just think that, you know, uh, it, it's, it's really important. Uh, that that we remain careful and diligent and and listen to the science. I know that's what the NFL is doing. I know it's frustrating for fans right now, trying to figure out when the season's going to start, how it's going to start, what it's going to look like.
0: Join now and you'll see why 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All access membership separate offer ends January 8th, 2023. Excludes bike, bike plus and tread basics. See additional terms at onepeloton.com. Uh
3: Nobody has those answers uh, right now. And the good news is there's still 80 some odd days uh, or so until a season opener is scheduled to start. So there's some time uh, to play with, but I mean, we're, we're less than we're, we're just about a month away from when training camp is supposed to start, and there still aren't concrete answers on how this is all going to look.
5: Yeah, there's really not. To go with the eighty days, there's also you know the silver lining of you know hockey coming back, NBA coming back, baseball possibly coming back. So hopefully, and I talked about this in another another interview. Hopefully, the NFL will have some sort of blueprint as to what worked for those teams and be able to implement that as well. Uh, they're, they're really in the best situation to try to actually have a full season. Um, kind of w- we'll elaborate on this now that we're talking about it. What do you think if they do start on time, uh, do you think we're going to play a full season? Or are you, are you worried about a fall spike?
3: Uh, I'm worried about everything, uh, <laughs> because, you know, we, we, you know, we just don't know. And, and, you know, um, you know, my, my, my personal feeling is that there's been a lack of uh, at the top leadership throughout this whole process, yeah. and I think that that's um, you know caused some setbacks, um, and and we're probably a little bit further behind than where we should be right now as a result of that. Don't want to get all political or anything like that, but that's just how I see it, and um, and so I think states are having to really um you know fend for themselves in a lot of ways and every state is a little bit different so you're talking about 32 different teams in i I don't know how many states what are we talking about 25 states maybe Roughly,
0: um, yeah.
3: and then yeah uh you know in the different counties and cities um and everyone's gonna be you know sort of on their own um I know that uh, you know fa- whether fans can be a part of it is gonna a lot of that is gonna depend on what state you're in? What county you're in? What you know? What what city you're in? And what are the ordinances? And what are the proclamations? And what's the advice and recommendations and mandates from those particular uh, cities? So you could see something different in Florida than you're going to see in Las Vegas and New York to Washington, D.C. and so on and so forth. So um, I think the the goal is to get the season in. Uh, I think you're right, absolutely right. People that I talk to in the NFL are. You know, pretty appreciative of the fact that you know they they kind of get to sit back and watch, especially baseball, because they're going to be in stadiums,
1: right,
3: at their own stadiums. Whereas it looks like you know, obviously the NBA is going to be at the bubble and in Orlando. The NHL hasn't quite decided, but it looks like they're going to do a bubble situation as well. Um, baseball is going to be in all the cities that they normally are, and um, so I think football gets to gets a chance, at least about a month because. You know, it looks like baseball is scheduled to start just about the same time uh, or their games are getting ready to start or will be just around the same time that training camp starts. Right. So there'll be about a three-week period where we can really take some some data and information and the do's and don'ts from baseball and apply it to football. But I could see anything happening. Uh, I know that there's a great, 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 um, you know, uh, a desire and objective to, to play the season intact from start to finish, just as it is right now on the schedule. Uh, but you're going to have to, be, everyone's going to have to be adaptable and I know the NFL will be.
5: Yeah, and it, we'll, we'll know more as we go through this process and it, there's, you know, as you went through it, there's just a lot to take in at the moment and, and nobody really knows exactly how this is going to play out. But all I can say is that we're all remaining Hopeful and positive, and most importantly, everybody's staying safe. My my uh, suggestion to everybody is get the best home theater entertainment that you can afford and kick back and watch the games uh, from home. I think that'd be the best way to go for, for everybody. Um, getting into the Raiders, you know, you got, we talk a lot about fantasy football, but. Uh, for the Raiders, there's a special thing going on, right? You guys, they're moving from Oakland to Las Vegas. It's fine. This is the year. And doing that amongst the pandemic on top of it, how is that transition going, in, you feel?
3: Um, you know, they're definitely making the uh, the, the best of it. Uh, I think in a, in a in a weird, crazy sort of a way, um, assuming everything goes off with, with training camp, um, you know, the fact that, the NFL mandated that everyone has to do training camp from their home facilities, or in some cases, their home stadiums. I think that was a little bit of a break for the Raiders. I think they were, as, as the, as the months went on and the weeks went on during the pandemic, I, I think there was a heavy lean in their direction to do that anyway. Uh, you know, they were scheduled to to have training camp um, in, in, in Napa Valley, which is where they normally have it. Uh, but I think they, their thinking was, why, why would we do that? You know, why would we take the whole operation? Why would we, because you have to understand they were moving from Alameda, obviously, to you know Las Vegas. Um, their their entire off-season program, except for minicamp, was going to still be up in Alameda. Um, and so players were going to have to be making that commute while also looking for homes in Las Vegas and trying to get settled in in Las Vegas. Uh, and then also going to training camp, and that, it was just like a whole moving circus circus there uh, that, that uh, it, it originally looked like. And it kind of reminded me of the Rams back in 2016 when they moved from St. Louis to Los Angeles. They spent some of the off season in St. Louis, then they went to Oxnard, California, where the Dallas Cowboys uh, practice, tra- you know, do their training camps for, for their off season program. Then they went to UC Irvine, which is about 110 miles away in Orange County, for training camp. Uh, all in the meantime, their Thousand Oaks practice facility uh, at Cal Lutheran University was being built. So then they had to, uh, you know, come back to Thousand Oaks and finally settle in like a week before um, training camp opened. That was when their that was when their facility was up and running. So it was just like this one stop after another. And I thought that it, it really hurt them during the season. I think they felt the effects of that while going four and twelve. Well. Uh, be- Long long uh, story short, with the Raiders now, because of the way things are, it's going to be a straight line now to the Henderson, their practice facility. It just opened up for coaches. Uh, John Gruden and Mike Mayock uh, were all there on Monday of this week uh, to get settled in. Uh, the next time the players report, it'll be in, in Henderson, whatever that might be. So they don't have to do all of the Napa stuff or Alameda stuff. Uh, a lot of players are now moving into the area, getting settled in uh trying to form some bonds doing some you know uh practices uh you know at local parks uh, and the next time they actually gather it'll be in Henderson it'll give them a month to get acclimated to the area to get acclimated um to the building to the facility uh i think it'll in a, in a weird way it worked out for the raiders now obviously everyone wants things to get back to normal but for them uh, a lot of the, a lot of the craziness was removed from the equation, uh, and now everything's just going to be in, in Henderson.
5: Well, I mean that that's good to hear because there's enough craziness just trying to dissect this roster, especially when you're looking from a fantasy perspective, because. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, first and foremost, let's start off with the quarterback position. You bring in Marcus Mariota. I, Derek Carr, obviously, is still expected to be the starter of week one. I think we all expect that. I think the question becomes, is Mariota really there to push Derek Carr? Is he really there as a threat to take over at some point? What is your feeling on that?
3: Well, I think um, the threat that he poses, let's, let's start with that. The threat that he poses, he's not the threat. This is really all on Derek Carr and Call me crazy, but I think that uh, he's setting himself up for a pretty good year. Um, you know, with the with the Raiders, what they've done at their offensive line is one of the better offensive lines in the NFL now. Um, last year, when that when that group, when that starting group was intact, they graded out really well. Uh, there were some injuries along the way, unfortunately, so uh, that that negated some of that progress. But if that's a healthy unit, they're more than capable of, of, uh, of not only protecting Derek Carr, but opening holes for, for Josh Jacobs. Uh, you know, Darren Waller emerged last year in a big way. Hunter Renfro emerged in his rookie year, and I could see a Julian Edelman-type type role for him uh, going into this year. They brought in Henry Rudd, Um You know, uh, Terrell Williams, their wide receiver, looks like he's healthy, so that should be a, a, a kind of a game-changer for him. Josh Jacobs, obviously, uh, we all saw what he was able to do. This is an offense that's really set up to do big things. And they, they played reasonably reasonably well last year when you look at some of the statistics, but then it just all bogged down once they got into the red zone. Um, you know, they were 11th overall in, in total yardage, but only 24th in scoring. They need to get that turned around. But I think with Rugs, you know, the, the versatility of a Lynn Bowden Jr., uh, whatever Brian Edwards can bring, um, and then the holdovers that are, that are, you know, Jacobson, Hunter Renfro going into their second year, Darren Waller going into basically his second year uh, as, a, as a true starter. This offense has a chance to be pretty good. Now, it's on Derek Carr, and I think he will, to take advantage of all that. There was a lot missing um, in terms of, you know, speed and explosiveness, um, guys that could separate, guys that could be a challenge downfield last year. Um, but he's got that this year and it's up to him to take advantage of it. So I think he will, but if he doesn't, that's where Marcus Mariota comes into the equation. I don't think he was brought in here to take, uh, Derek Carr's job, the push that he provides. And that's just natural. That's those are two competitors. Uh, he, you know, Marcus Mariota knows what his role is, but at the same time, he's a professional. He's a competitor. Um, he wants to play. So he's going to do everything he can, uh, to prepare himself. Uh, and if that's You know wherever that takes him takes him, but it's more on Derek Carr. If he slips, then Marcus Mariota comes into the picture.
5: Yeah, I mean I completely agree with everything you're saying there, and it was a great breakdown of the whole situation. I I do believe Derek Carr is a starter for 16 weeks Uh, with with the weapons that you just described. There's no reason that he can't at least take advantage of that. He's going to be able to play within himself and still be able uh, to produce. And you know, along with the receivers and the pass catchers and everything else, you know, we have. The, the talk about, you know, Josh Jacobs, and we know what he's going to do in the rushing game. I, we all have a good idea that, what his volume is going to be, what he's going to be able to bring to the table, how that offensive line works. And the question really more is, is Mike Mayock telling the truth about Josh Jacobs having a bigger role in the receiving game, something that we know he could do coming out of college, but you still have Jalen Richard there. What is your take
3: on that? Well, I think that they, they, they hope um, that he can emerge in, in, in that uh, in that regard. Uh, on the other hand, you know, the, the presence of Bowden, uh, who was a wide receiver in college and locked up being a, 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 a quarterback, and now he's being brought in to be uh, a running back, although I think he's in a lineup all over the field. You know, I think he, um, he adds that element. So if you want to maybe preserve Josh Jacobs and, you know, maybe take him out on third downs, in passing situations in favor of either Rashard or, or, or Bowden, you have that flexibility to do that. But I think when he is on the field, I think it, it behooves the Raiders to, to at least uh, make an attempt uh, to get him more involved in the passing game and just get, get him the ball in space. Uh, he's obviously a tremendous runner, um, but if you could figure out uh, easier ways for him to get yards uh, by, you know, you know, maybe creating some one-on-one situations with linebackers that he can easily beat as a better athlete than, um, you might as well do that. So yeah, I think that there will be an intent and, a, and an objective, uh, to, to get him more involved, but we're just going have to see, you know, how that evolves as the season goes on.
5: Yeah, I mean, that's a big question, because that, that is what will take Josh Jacobs from being in an RB2 territory to possibly being an RB1. We, like you said, they we, they can open up holes for him. He he was getting about 18 to 20 carries when he was healthy a game. The, the volume there is is rushing. It's going to be a question of does he get involved in that passing game or not. They, to your point, they brought in Bowden. They still have Uh So they might give him a break. I see it more as possibly where Jacobs, they have the objective to get Jacobs more involved early in the season, and then maybe as it wears on, They give him a little bit more breaks here and there, especially if they're looking poised for a playoff run at that point. They might have a little more of incentive to keep him fresher for that that playoff run because they might be in that position if all their talent can click uh, this season because of the wide receivers that you talked about. Uh, You brought in Henry Ruggs. Look, Antonio Brown... Antonio Brown missing last the whole fiasco with him really kind of set back what they wanted to do. And I think that's why they were big on Henry Ruggs. I think they envisioned using him. He's not Antonio Brown, but envisioned using him, how they wanted to use Brown as that explosive guy who they can line up all over the field. how, what do you, how, how I shouldn't say how involved, how many targets, how, how significant in this offense do you think Ruggs is going to be in his rookie season?
3: Yeah, and, and that's a that's an interesting question because, um, you know, and, and I've been debating this myself with myself, is how do you gauge a successful season by Henry Ruggs? Is it the number of catches that he has? Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if Jerry Judy had more catches, um, you know, with the, with the Denver Broncos. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if CeeDee Lamb had more catches with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, but that doesn't mean that Henry Ruggs can't be – even more effective and even more uh, impactful than those two players on their team for the Raiders. Um, You know, I think that he's going to get the ball in a lot of different ways. Um, It might not be reflected in um, the volume of catches, but uh, I think that the trade-off could be um, what he can do when, when, when he does get the ball in his hands. And also, um you know, the factor that he plays just by being on the field and the attention that that draws to him defensively, which theoretically should open things up even more for your Darren Wallers and your Hunter Renfrows and your Josh Jacobs. I mean the the way if if he can prove to be um you know a, a deep ball threat, uh and, and you you have to respect that kind of speed. That's like just like six speed that you have to respect as a defense. So don't be surprised if you see less and less teams bringing up a safety up to the line of scrimmage to deal with Josh Jacobs, knowing that you've got a guy in Henry Ruggs that can make you look really silly downfield, uh, you know, um, operating in the space that was, that was vacated by that safety coming down. So again, that's going to help Josh Jacobs. So um, there's going to be some ways that, that Henry Ruggs, affects things uh, and impacts things that might not be reflected in, in just sheer numbers and sheer volume of, of catches. Um, so I expect him, I expect him to catch 40 to 50 balls. Uh, I expect him to, to probably have a pretty, out of those catches, a pretty high number of touchdowns. I think he's going to take a few to the house. I think he going to get, get the ball in in, in fly sweep situations a lot of bubble screen situations just get him the ball and, and let him let his speed and athleticism do the rest. And along the way uh, I think you're also going to see him develop uh, into a better pass, you know, a route runner, um, understanding of the position. Um, I think you're going to see that. And I think that, you know, as the years go on, I think more of a whole package is going to develop with the Henry Rugs. But I think initially um the, the touches and tar- the, the the volume of touches probably isn't going to be um enormous um but he's going to have a big impact on the
5: offense yeah i mean i think you're hitting the nail on the head right there it's what his his natural ability that natural speed is going to open up for everybody else uh and if it's you know if it's not going to be him getting that significant amount of catches which we wouldn't really expect him to do anyway in a rookie season the guy I have as the number one targeted at least wide receiver would still be Tyrell Williams for me going into this year. What kind of season do you think he's looking at? He had that hot start. He got he had to deal with the plantar fasciitis. He cooled off at the end of the season. What do you think we're going to see out of him this season?
3: Well, if he's healthy, um, you know, I think that he can have uh, a typical Tyrell Tyrell Williams type of the season. But I also think he's going to get pushed um, a little bit by Brian Adams from Brian. It Brian Edwards. Um, because I think that, uh, a lot of people were sleeping on Edwards, you know, there were some factors down the stretch injury wise, and then going into the, you know, um, assessment period, draft assessment period that he got banged up a little bit. So he kind of flew under the radar, but this guy can play and he's a big target, big, strong target that I think, um, you know, if given a chance is going to be a middle of the field threat, a red zone threat. So. I just wonder, um, you know, if, if, if Williams uh, isn't ready to, to just get after it early on, um, you know, how much Edwards cuts into his playing time. But if he is healthy and he is motivated and he is playing like like Williams again, that's it's it's almost going to be like having another new wide receiver on the on the roster because we just never saw him healthy last year. And, and I don't know if you ever had, uh, you know, the the type of foot issue that he had. But everyone that I've talked to that has that it's one of the worst pains of all time of all time. And and those are people that are just walking around regular life, working in an office, Imagine having that while being a wide receiver or football player who relies on uh, their legs and their feet um, so much. So, um, you know, it's it's a little unfair to judge him on last year based on everything that he was going through. And I know that he won a lot of respect in the locker room and with the coaches just by playing through it and never really complaining. You never, well, at least while I was there, I never heard him complain or really use it as an excuse, even though everyone knew what he was doing.
5: Yeah, he definitely toughed it out. There's, there's no question about that. Plantar fascia is, is, is no joke. I've had to deal with my wife having that at times, and uh, it can be a real real pain. Um, yeah, so I, that actually kind of covers my next question, too, because I wanted to talk a little bit about Brian Edwards and what his impact is going to be. And I was actually looking at it more from when they go through receiver sets, we know Hunter Renfro really came on strong at the end of last season in that slot position. But do you think that they might go? Maybe they go big. Maybe they go Henry Ruggs in the slot and have Edwards and Tyra Williams out there. Do you think that's a possibility with the rotation of Renfro?
3: I think everything is a possibility, and I'm really addressing, <laughs> I, I think you know because I, I and I know you know John Gruden, uh, and I've talked to him about this. You know, he's. <laughs> Uh, he's really fired up about the weapons that he has uh, offensively, and the versatility that it creates. And don't get, don't uh, make any mistake. He still wants to be a power run football team first and foremost. Right. Uh, you're still going to see uh, a lot of multiple tight end uh, formations, 12 personnel, 13 personnel, um, a heavy run, uh, trying to just really, you know, knock the stuffing out of teams, uh, and then and then let that be the you know, sort of the the launching uh, into the, into the pass game. So he's going to do what John Gruden does. Uh, but now, um, you know, and this is what he's so fired up about when you add a Rugs, when you add um, a Jason Witten and when you add a, a, a Lynn Bowden and, a, and a Edwards and guys like that, um, you know, all of a sudden his play menu expands by that much more. And it's, and the versatility factor and what you can, uh, the pressure that you could put on a, on a defense as a result uh, just expands. And I think that that's really going to help them in the in the red zone. But for me, I'm really interested in, in, in Redfield because I think that uh, he opened up a lot of eyes last year, not just as a possession wide receiver. The dude was a pretty darn good athlete. When he got the ball in his hands, the guy made things happen. Uh, a couple of times where he just, you know, uh, went 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 long after catch. You know, the, the, the length of the throw wasn't far, but then he took it to the house. Uh, showed a lot of athletic ability. He obviously, as a, as a punt returner, they valued that athletic ability, and and, and he and he showed that um, when he was given a chance in, in that part of the game. So, um, you know, you have you have this weapon that I think. I don't think a lot of people understood what kind of a weapon he can be. And I think that the Raiders are really going to be diligent and creative in how they implement him and how they get him the ball. And I don't think it's just going to be as a possession wide receiver. Again, I, you can, I could see him having a Julian Edelman type type role. And then Edwards, we talked about, you know, a big physical tough wide receiver that goes up and gets the ball. I think it was in a, in a, in a different draft, he would have been drafted higher, uh, but because of the volume of the wide receivers and the depth of that position, um, you know, he went in the third round and the, and the Raiders are very thankful that he did and that he was there for them. Uh, but I think he's a guy that eventually is, is, is probably going to make a, a, a nice impact, especially, like I said, as a red zone threat. And I could see that happening, you know, very soon.
5: Yeah, uh, there's a lot of weapons. There's a lot of rotations possible out there uh, with this wide receiver group. It's going to be very interesting to see that the whole I mean, the whole AFC West as far as offensively goes going into the season is going to be pretty interesting. Uh, One thing with uh, with Renfro, I think goes hand in hand with Darren Waller, because there's really in my mind there's two questions with Darren Waller. We know that he has possibility to be the targeted, the most targeted guy on the Raiders' offense. But the two questions are are this: his production went down when Hunter Renfro started coming on strong. Do you think it's going to be an issue uh, with that being the possibility from the start of the season this year? And then the other thing is that is this guy going to actually get utilized in the
0: red zone more? (laughs) Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready.
4: It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible.
2: Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather.
4: Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.
3: I'm sorry, I missed the very first part of of, uh, Darren Waller or...
5: Waller. Yeah. What's, yeah. what's Renfro's effects on, on Waller? Oh, and and then, about, yeah. Yeah, and then is he going to get used in the red zone more?
3: Um, I, no, I think that, I think that they plan to, you know, really elevate Darren Waller. I think that, you know, he's a guy that's on the cusp of being, you know, uh, a Kelsey type of a tight end, um, you know, a Kittle type of a tight end, you know, he's, he's, all, he's, he's, He's getting into that kind of territory, so they're going to do whatever they can uh, to also uh, get get him the ball. Um, I think what's what's you know what what's better for the Raiders this year is that they might give John credit, John Gruden, a lot of credit because he's never really, to my knowledge, anyway, uh, tight end has never really been the biggest part of his offenses. Um, uh, you know, I have to go back and look to see really, you know, uh, how, how what tight ends have done uh, in, in under under him. But when um, you know when they lost Antonio Brown uh, and and Terrell Williams just wasn't uh, you know healthy, he had to change things up and and he he found a way to to run his offense basically a pass offense through Darren Waller. I mean he became the focal point and you know that that's good coaching right there. Um, but now he has more weapons, so um, it'll be interesting to see what what you know Darren's numbers turn out to be because. You know, just theoretically, when you have a Henry Ruggs and other weapons, the ball might go to them, whereas it, you know in situations that that it might have gone to Darren last year., uh, but I think that in the red zone, he's going to be huge. Um he showed last year that she could get him the ball on you know just bubble screens and he can he can let his athletic ability to take over from from that point. He's super versatile. um I mean, you can line him up all over the field. So I don't know. it's it's very interesting. To, to wonder when you put it all out there on the field, um, all the various weapons that they have now, um, how is it going to affect numbers? And, you know, I covered I the Rams, and they found a way over the years with Cooper Cup and, you know, uh, Robert Woods uh, and, and Brandon, um, forgetting his name for a second, uh, 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 the Cooks, their wide receiver, and, um, you know, all those guys, when healthy, were on were on the verge of going for over a thousand yards. Um, you know, as a trio, which is hard to do. Uh, but in 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 Charmin Bay's offense and, and and the way you know Jared Goff operated, and I think Derek Carr is a lot like this. You find the open man, and and that's the, 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 that's where you take the ball. And everyone has to be unselfish, and everyone has to be understand uh, you know understand that. Uh, and in the meantime, Todd Gurley was doing what he was doing. So there's enough plays there's enough targets there's enough uh, even though there's only one ball if, if that offense is functioning the way it should be um and Derek Carr is getting the ball out and, and getting it to his wide receivers everyone's going to get fed um so even though his num- numbers might go down if the scoring is up um for the Raiders I don't think he'll mind at
5: all yeah and that and that brings us back to the point of Derek Carr has the best weapons and has really a great possibility to have A decent season and really has to if he wants to keep his job because he's going to have no excuses this year, frankly, when it all breaks down. Um, The last thing to talk about with the Raiders is the defense. Now, I don't think there's any fantasy player out there who's going to be picking up the defense or drafting their defense, but what do you think their outlook is going to be this season? Where do you see some improvements? Where do you still have some concerns?
3: Well, uh, A, they have to get better. That's that's (laughs) no question. B, I don't see how they can't get better. Um, I mean, you know, I, I know Corey Littleton. Uh, he's a fantastic upgrade uh, in a lot of different ways. Um And, and, and so is Nick Krakowski, uh the other linebacker that they signed. Um, you know, the, they have the ability to turn what was just an utter weakness into something of a strength when you're talking about guys who can defend the pass and the run. The Raiders just didn't have that last year. We could go into all the numbers. Uh, but it was absurdly bad how bad they were, uh, their linebackers in coverage, and that affected everything that um, you know, uh, the whole second, even the, even into the secondary that, that that crept into the secondary. Uh, so just the, the addition of those two players, I think is going to help tremendously in pass coverage. Um, and then uh, you you know you add some of the draft picks that they had uh, that they, that they believe are going to push for playing time uh, early on. Uh, you know, I think that and getting Jonathan Abram back, uh, I, I think that this defense, uh, it's it's there's no way that it can't be better. And I think that it could be significantly better if, if, if players, uh, you know, produce uh, the question that I have is without the benefit of a regular offseason uh, and so many new faces, uh, you're talking about five new starters at the very, very least, and it could be more than that. by this by season's end. Um how quickly can they get it together, chemistry-wise, timing-wise, um, and, and all of those things that good defenses communication-wise uh, have without being able to get on the field like they normally would have in a regular off season. So um, for, for that reason, I think that the defense, as the year goes on, is going to get better. Uh, but I think it's incumbent on the offense to hit the ground running ASAP. Uh, you know, You don't always want to be in the world where you have to go outscore somebody uh, to win games, but I think they're going to probably have to do that early on. And it's a tough, tough schedule early on, but Derek Carr and the offense need to step it up and, and and hold down the fort in that early period of the season to give that defense a chance to become what it's capable of becoming.
5: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. And, and to your point, I mean, team chemistry in general is very important, but it might be the most important on the defensive side of the ball so it is a big deal that we, you know, hopefully they can get on there for training camp and full go training camp, but that's the only time they're going to have before the season, even if that does work out the way that everybody wants it to. Vincent, you are absolutely pleasure to have on on the show. Before we let you go, can you let everybody know something you're working on now that we can all look forward to, to check out and one more time where should we should follow you?
3: Well, um, I have a story coming out on uh, where I see the Raiders Um Rising up in the AFC West. Uh, no, I do not have them beating the Kansas City Chiefs out for the division championship. But an interesting note: um, in John Gruden's third year uh, in, uh, with the Raiders, in his first run, 2020 or 2000, the year 2000, mm-hmm. they went from eight and eight his first year, eight and eight his second year, to 12 and four and division champions his third year. We're exactly 20 years out from that in the year 2020. Uh, you know, he's going into his third year again and another big step forward uh, is expected. So this is the time uh, historically with John Gruden and the Raiders where a big jump uh, happens. And I do expect uh, significant improvements this year. How that reflects in the record, um, we're going to find out here pretty soon. But uh, but I, I think that they're going to they're in they're in line for for uh, big strides. And I think that that's going to take them places in the AFC West, uh, and in the AFC in general.
5: Awesome, awesome. And make sure everybody follow him on Twitter, at Vinny Bonsignor. Uh, Vinny, Vincent, um, you know, hopefully we'll have you on again. I definitely want to talk to you soon. And uh, keep staying safe and, and, and you know, having fun out there in Vegas.
3: Likewise, man. Thanks a lot, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Excellent. Take care.
5: And that was Vincent Bonsignor of the Las Vegas Review Journal, Raiders Beat Writer. I hope you guys all enjoyed that interview. Next up on the other side, we're going to have Frank Bonacontri from the Fantasy Wire. But before we get into that, I want to talk to you guys about a sponsor of the show called Prop Me. They are the new, innovative gaming platform and really the first of its kind. Prop Me makes betting from person to person more easy than ever. Designed for new and experienced gamblers alike using straightforward prop bets that can literally be created on anything. You you want to bet on what that next play will be? Then create a prop. You want to bet on who's going to win that game of beer pong? Then create a prop. It takes hanging out with your friends to a whole new level. So join today by downloading the Prop Me app or go to propmellc.com. And now here's Frank Bonencontri of The Fantasy Wire. All right, MD Nation, and back on the line, we have Mr. Frank Bonacontri. He is great. He is back. He is with us for the second time now for this podcast, and we're very happy to have him back. He is the fantasy insider for Fantasy Wire HQ, Fantasy Pros Ranker. You can follow him on Twitter at Fantasy Wire HQ, and I highly recommend that you do. Frank, how are you doing?
1: outstanding i'm prepping like a madman for all the drafts coming up and uh just grinding on what i want to do in the drafts this year it's been uh pretty fun i'm looking forward to it
5: yeah we are absolutely as well here too and uh you're always been you know we know you're a big ravens guy we also know you're a big packers guy too but we brought you in here to talk about the ravens and break down what was the number one offense in the nfl last season had you know fantasy points galore everywhere Uh, that's going to be the big part of of our drafts that we're getting prepped for you and me both. Um, And, you know, of course it all starts and finishes with Lamar Jackson. What is he going to be able to repeat? Or even if there's a little bit of regression, is he still going to be the QB one?
1: Well, I think he's a QB one for sure. And I mean, it's, it's like we picked up right from last year, as far as the Lamar Jackson debate, does he suck? Is he good? Does he maintain? And I've seen so much stuff out there as far as, you know, he's, what's the blueprint to beat him, right? And there's so many people, well, if, if he throws the ball more than 20 times, his completion percentage is, you know, 54 or less, and and they're winless. And then they give stats from other ones and and whatnot. So the only way to beat him is to force him in adversity. Well, who is he throwing the ball to, right? Last season, it was Seth Roberts. It was Willie Sneed. It was Jaleel Scott. I mean, these guys are – Brown was, was hot to start the season, and then he was gone. So I think this year is a nice new start. They've got the toys that they want to get. They drafted the two receivers, DuVernay and Prochet, in the draft. So is he going to repeat another you know crazy season like last season? Probably not. He's going to regress, of course. But I do think the Ravens will be throwing the ball more. They're going to have to change it up and get creative now that there's a full season of tape on Lamar Jackson. You're not going to go trot out there and do the same thing. That's why they got rid of Marty Morningwig. Enter Greg Roman, so I think they're creative enough to keep Lamar Jackson, you know, keeping defenses honest and on their toes. And I think he can definitely have another killer season. Um, only concern is the, the right guard spot is a uh, right. with Yanda Marshall Yanda re- retirement. Uh, they went out and re-signed D- or free agent D J Fluker. McCarthy filled in pretty well last season. Second year uh, Ben Powers also. So they got two rookies in the draft. So they'll have some competition at that guard spot. That's where I'm really interested in. I think that's a big key to Lamar Jackson's success for 2020.
5: Yeah, I mean, it absolutely is. And, and to your point them throwing the ball a little bit more, I think I have him about throwing the ball about 35 times more this season, possibly 40. And, and yeah, the, the weapons. He was throwing the no-name weapons outside of Mark Andrews for the most part. Marquise Brown was, you know, in and out of the lineup because of injuries. He's going to be back and healthy now. And it's just crazy to me that the guy who led – the league in passing touchdowns is still being questioned as to whether or not he is actually a legitimate NFL quarterback. It's absolutely crazy to me. It's absolutely asinine to me, uh, frankly. And yeah, I do have him getting just under a thousand yards rushing, but I still have him as QB1 at the end of the day. I still have him th- throwing for 31 yeah. touchdowns at the end of the day. There's there's no reason to not think he's going to reach those numbers, and I think that's actually being on the safe side, considering what Marquis Bronco bring to the table. I love Devin DuVernay and what he can, what he can bring to to the table as well. But before we get into the wide receivers, I want to talk to you about the running back situation. They draft J.K. Dobbins. You still have Mark Ingram, who I was big on last year. He finished the RB1 like I expected him to, so he made me look good. But what do you think the rotation between those two is going to be? Yeah,
1: I think without a doubt, Ingram is still the lead dog, and uh, you know they're going to complement him with Gus Edwards and Dobbins. I'm really excited for Um, I was really, I'm sorry, I was really excited for Justice Hill last season. You know, I thought he would get more action because he put together a nice, strong preseason. He looked good. He looked tough, fought for the extra yardage. But for whatever reason, during uh, the 19 season, he didn't really, you know, stick out in the backfield or or establish himself in a rotation. He was kind of meh. But I'm not pulling him out. I think you get three different styles in that backfield, which is a bonus for that ground attack because it's ground and pound. That's the name of the game, but you got Ingram as your bruiser. Gus is more your slasher. And then Dobbins Hill, they're like a combo of, of all. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to see how it shakes out. Ultimately. I'd lean Ingram Gus and and Dobbins. It's a new rookie. You know, it's the shiny new toy. They're going to want to get him involved. The guy's a threat. And uh, unless Ingram goes down or something like that, I think he'll be the first down back for sure.
5: See, that's interesting to me because I, I feel, though, with Dobbins coming in and Justice Hill having his specialty skill set that he does, I almost kind of question if Gus Edwards doesn't want to becoming irrelevant or possibly even a cut candidate in my mind, but clearly you don't feel that way.
1: It, it's so hard to see how that shakes down because if you look at what Gus Edwards did, he did put together a strong season He, he reminds me of like the Packers old James Starks. Like he just, his running style and he can make guys miss. He's a little shifty. He's got enough to get through. So it's, it's like you put the tape on or watch the games and it's like, well, you didn't tank. He wasn't awful to where we can't keep this guy. It's going to be interesting where they're going to make roster moves. Like you said, to let somebody go, I kind of feel like they'd want to keep all four because you've got the draft capital in Hill, right? You don't want to, blow right. him out of there. But then again, I mean, you, it could be, it's, it's one of them could be the odd man out right now at this point in the year. It's hard to say who it would be for exact, you know?
5: Oh yeah. Absolutely. especially without, when we haven't had OTAs, no mini camps, we're not going to get anything until we're hoping fingers crossed for a training camp. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of time missed and a lot of things are going to kind of be up in the air. We're really not going to know uh until then but i agree with you mark ingram is going to be the lead dog he's i still have him as a very solid rb2 i have him taken a little bit of a regression this year just because of the involvement that i do expect from dobbins and either from hill or edwards to kind of be in that rotation as well um but he's still going to be right there he's still going to be a guy who's going to have big games for you this is still a run first team and then still lamar jackson as your quarterback which always opens up the door for the running backs to excel uh even more and moving to those targets, moving Marquise Brown more specifically, because Marquise Brown to me, to me, I think is the next coming of Tyree Kill. That's why I think his skill set matches out too. And if he's 100 percent healthy, what do you think his season can be?
1: To me, I think he looks good to go. I mean, he appears to be healthy, and I think the team believes in him as well. And we've seen the off season you know workouts here with Lamar down in Florida. He was running routes, and then he's doing his driveway jugs training with the helmet on which was awesome you know chris farley <laughs> awesome yeah. and uh i th- i think he's kind of you know he's going to be your john brown deep threat style that's what we want we saw glimpses of that last season there's not i don't think there's enough talk about him on broken plays with lamar jackson because he's lombard can buy time with his feet and with the shiftiness of Brown. shiftiness I like his potential of just broken plays and getting open. He can get behind defenses. He can, he could be your sneaky, you know. How is he wide open? My God, he's the fastest guy, right? Right. So I see a lot of those plays coming like that, and I think they'll utilize them. I think they're going to really cook up some packages for him and uh, showcase him this season. And Boykin. To me, I think he's battling, you know, probably DuVernay, Prochet. I'm not going to forget about Willie Sneed either for this year, but for once the Ravens wide receiver core looks pretty decent and they're all kind of unique in their own styles. And that's something we haven't been able to say about the Ravens in quite some time, but I do like, I've always liked Boykin as their red zone guy. And I really think that was what they intended for his role to be when they drafted him. Just a, a red zone guy, big body, physical. He's just got to put it all together consistently and past him the rookies duvernay and crochet i love both of those guys they really like them the tape on each of them is insane i thought and you know duvernay's your track guy 4-3 40 time 244 passes and five drops in college that's insane right. and then when you flip on crochet's tape he caught everything thrown at him and they were all poor throws over his head at his feet with a defender draped over him i love the potential for him and he's almost like a you know old school terry glenn west Welker combo kind of guy whether he's a chain mover whether designing up little you know plays for him out of the back who knows where i think he's a nice interchangeable piece i really want to see where he ends up to in this but i love the the wide receiver core now this season more than i have in quite a while
5: yeah, well, they found like you said uh, perfectly. They all have their different roles of what they're good at, and I think I think the key to me, honestly, is that Miles Boykin needs to be that perimeter weekly wide receiver, not yeah. just for the red zone factor that you're talking about, but also because he's that bigger-bodied guy. He's that guy who can block on the edge, which helps the running game out tremendously as yep. well. And I think if, even if he's not that main target guy, he opens up everybody else to do what they want to do, Marquise Brown. And and Devin DuVernay, I'm, I'm more big on for this season. I like James Roche in Dynasty Leagues, but for this year, I think Devin DuVernay might be somebody who is a DFS winner. Uh, because when you mix him in with Marquise Brown, that's too much speed to cover on that. The field with what they can do in the running game, the play action; these guys are going to be wide open behind secondaries. That all stems from Miles Boykin being able to be that lockdown perimeter guy. So I completely agree with what you're saying there, uh, and I think it's going to be very interesting, and that's that's why I have I you know I have Lamar Jackson go for thirty seven hundred yards. I have him for a three hundred yard improvement in that area, and it's going to be a little bit more effective in, in the passing game between the twenties, not just effective in the red zone, which we know they're going to be as as well. Um, but we do know at least I still have the number one targeted pass catcher being Mark Andrews for this team. Uh Hayden Hurst is gone. You know, they still have Nick Boyle obviously, he'll still play his role, but do you think Mark Andrews now is going to be on the field more now that Hayden Hurst is gone?
1: Yeah, I obviously I think he's going to get a bump and then him and Boyle, they're your two starting tight ends and Boyle of course, you know, he's just going to assume a small amount of targets probably that Hurst was getting, but I think most likely he stays on the line blocking of course and I do like Boyle actually too in the offense in the red zone um, just because that's where your ground and pound run is going to set up some play action or design bootlegs or rollouts for Lamar you know he could hit an open guy on a broken play like we talked about earlier with Brown so offensively or defensively I'm sorry would you be thinking about you know rolling any coverage to Nick Boyle so right. in like a two tight end set I think he's a sneaky play just to get some some vulture some touchdowns away from Andrews but I think it's ultimately Andrews Time right there. He's your he's your go to
5: guy. I just think he's he's not just the resident, but he's I think he is the chain mover. You know, we know Lamar yeah. Jackson is tremendous throwing it to tight ends, throwing it in that middle part of the field as far as his accuracy go. And yeah, and when when it comes to I need to make a first down, I just think it's going to be Mark Andrews. I have him as my tight end four by a slim margin. Uh, behind Zach Ertz and I only have Zach Ertz that high just because of the Eagles wide receiver situation it looks like they're going to start the season the way they ended it where Ertz might be the default guy that's the only reason I have him ahead uh, of Mark Andrews at all otherwise Mark Andrews would be my number three tight end just behind uh, uh, Kelsey and Kittle
1: yeah I've always been real high on Andrews I like what he does he's a great chain mover and then he's he's pretty sneaky too down the seam as far as breaking plays open or getting behind defenders and and it's like, geez, this is a tight end. or you see it? what Come on now. And, and there he goes down the field. So I, I love Andrews. He's been one of my favorites.
5: One of the things that goes hand in hand, I think, with the Ravens offense going into this season uh, and why I think they're going to get so many opportunities to maybe be the number one offense again, possibly, is the improvements that they made on defense. That uh, defense might be really good. That defense might be a top five fantasy defense. What's your take on them?
1: I love. I'm a big fan of the defense this season, and it was so funny. It's almost comical to me about all the, you know, when all everybody was leaving and leaving the defense. And well, no more well, no more. You know, and just right. roll through the list of players. Right? They'll never be the same. They'll ne- but look at what they did last year with Matt Judon. I mean, Wink right. designed most blitz packages around him. He was the blitzer. So if you look at the, uh, I mean, I go to the basics and look at the trenches and the linebackers. It's a simple formula. It's what Ray Lewis used to always say is the D line has got to occupy those blockers and keep the backers clean. He always said it, you know, without the beef along the line, the, the rest of the execution is, is a lot tougher. But if you look at the Ravens line, they land Why Campbell. I mean, he can play
0: tackle or end.
1: You've got big old six, one,
0: Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready.
4: It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible.
2: Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather.
4: Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com Three team ready.
1: 335-pound Brandon Williams, they signed Derek Wolf from the Blancos, who Von Miller credited with you know him getting all his sacks they drafted justin matabuke six three, two 3 295 three technique guy but he's really quick he shoots gaps and that's really all he needs to do is is lock them up right that's kind of what they're looking for and like i said before with judon he was their blitz attack so now with the defense a little more balanced out of along that line and the defensive pieces and the draft that they got i think wink can really scheme up some different players into those packages, incorporate their strengths. And I'm not even going to rule out last year's pick at DN Jalen Ferguson, too. He could make some noise. He's got an opportunity this year. It's it's a lot of good depth and a lot of good rotational stuff that I love in the trenches. And that's what keeps the defense dominant all four quarters of the game.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And that, like I said, that, that defense, I think really has a chance to be top five. I like what they did and they're going to get more opportunities uh, to to that offensive side of the ball, without a doubt. Frank, uh, it was great having you on. I have one last question for you before we we let you go and, and close out and let everybody know where to follow you. And uh, that is, what is your feeling on the NFL being able to start on time this season?
1: I really think they do, and whether it's some modified way or not, you know, Goodell has got the the benefit of sitting back now and watching Ebon B start NBA right he's going to sit and watch all these other leagues and see what happens and how it unfolds he's got a couple months to put his own plan together so they better be creative and get something you know written in stone and ready to roll here because he's got a good opportunity to to balance it out i think it starts on time it's got to the NFL machine usually rolls on no matter what but if it's in some kind of modified way whether it's fans in the stands or games or travel Schedule modification. It, I'm not going to rule anything out until I see it, but I'd expect it to start. It really should.
5: I, I expect it to start, too. I'll follow it up with this question real quick, though. My big concern is that they are able to start, but maybe unable to finish or miss a chunk in the middle if we get that fall surge. And we're already kind of getting a surge now as it is, but if we get that fall surge that people think that might happen, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, that that's very unique to me because the rosters – how do you you know let's say the rona runs through your your backfield right Right. well who else are you getting when all four are gone are you bringing practice squad guys up where do you sign free agent it's do they can they get tested in time to make it for the next week's game the depth is really interesting that could go good or bad um but that's they better have a plan in that case you know it gets into the into the receiver group. And then that's the only room that, you know, the guys have it all now. It's like, well, what do you do next then for players? <laughs> you want to run out of players? I don't know. It's, it's going to be challenging.
5: Yeah. And that, that's, that's the only thing I'm worried about the most. Cause if you run through and all of a sudden all the stars in the NFL are, are gone, cause if they test positive, they're probably gonna have to quarantine for 14 days, which means they're going to miss two games. Uh, And that sets up a whole can of worms. I'm more worried about that than I think I am about the NFL actually starting on time at this point. That's been my new concern. But, you know, we're trying to stay positive. We need it to happen. I need some entertainment. I need football, most importantly. Uh, So hopefully they'll be able to figure out a way to work this all out and keep everybody uh, healthy and safe. Frank, before we let you go, let everybody know where to follow you. And what's something you're working on right now? We can go ahead and check out.
1: Yeah, on Twitter, it's at FantasyWireHQ, and then online, FantasyWireHQ.com. And I got everything in the website as far as fantasy rankings, podcasts, everything. Right now, I'm doing a three-episode series on the War Room. All access, you can check out what I do for the drafts right now. In Fantasyland, it's all about the Scott Fishbowl or your home leagues or whatever you got going on, and everybody's tight-lipped. About, well, I'm not telling my trade secrets. Well, I will. So you can jump in, put a plan together with me, make something work for you and just kind of work through my league. I'm going to pick one league to profile through the whole season and I'll give you all access, you know, setting lineups, making cheat sheets, you name it, ranking players, the whole nine. So that's drop episode one today. There'll be a new one each week. And then uh, from there, hopefully it's draft time
5: yeah uh everybody you gotta follow frank he's really one of the key pieces for your fantasy leagues going into every every single year always great information coming out from him he's going to help you win and that's that's pretty much hands down uh Frank thank you for so much coming on the show hopefully we'll get to talk to you soon and do this and do this again soon
1: absolutely take care be good
5: you too and that was Frank Bonacontri of the Fantasy Wire talking about the Ravens. I hope you guys all enjoyed that. Next up, we got Dave Perkett of the Detroit Free Press, the Lions beat writer coming on on the other side. And he's going to talk about, of course, the Detroit Lions in depth. But before we get into that, we have another sponsor that I want to give a shout out to called Trophy Smack. Commemorate your league winner in the best possible way. There is no other company in the business that does it better than Trophy Smack. They create trophies of all sizes, belts and rings with a variety of colors along along with free engraving and free shipping. And now you can get a free ring with your purchase of a trophy or belt if you use the promo code BELLYUP. So click on our Trophy Smack link on Twitter or Facebook, or go to trophysmack.com and use the promo code Belly Up on your order today. And now for Dave Burkett of the Detroit Free Press. If All you right. want to go in. All right, but MD Nation, we have on the hotline for you guys Mr. Dave Burkett of... The Detroit Free Press, the Lions beat writer, Pro Football Hall of Fame voter. You can find him on Twitter at Dave Burkett. He is excellent to follow because he's always putting out information for you guys and and a lot of insider stuff. And Dave, how are you doing right now?
2: Everything's good. I mean, you know, it's uh, I think like everyone, kind of uh, a little sick of quarantine, looking for things to do, but something we all you know got to do in terms of you know doing our parts. to keep everyone healthy, so keep, keeping social distance and trying to wear masks and, and do everything we can.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're all trying to make the best of the situation here, but as long as we're staying healthy, as long as you're staying healthy, uh, that's I mean, that's really all we can really ask for at this moment because uh, even getting some of the football players healthy right now is, is looking like it's going to be a little bit of a struggle with some of the positive tests coming out.
2: Yeah, we'll see what happens with uh, with the season. You know, I, uh, I know the league wants to play. I know uh, you know, the NFL is going to do everything in its power to, to make uh, the season happen uh, I have my doubts about how it's going to look or if they're going to be able to finish it. And then we'll, uh, maybe we'll get a little bit more of a, an idea the way some of these other professional sports leagues operate.
5: Yeah. I mean, we'll, one good thing is that, if, you know, baseball really does come back and hockey's on the way back and NBA's on the way back. Hopefully the NFL will take some cues from the stuff that was successful, uh, with them. And maybe they will be able to, to pull something off at the end of the day. I'll have a blueprint, uh, once the season rolls around, uh, but we got you on here because we want to talk about the Detroit Lions. We're going to talk about their fantasy value, what the team outlook is going to be. And of course, that probably all starts with the health of Matthew Stafford. What do we know about that subject right now?
2: Well, he's healthy now. Um, you know, not that they they had an offseason program, but uh he was around throwing with some of the Lions receivers and running backs, through with Kenny Galladay, Danny Amendola a couple times, uh you know, Quintez Asifis, one of their, their rookies, DeAndre Swift down in Georgia. Um so he's fine uh, Bob Quinn has said all along that he'd be if they had they had a, a full off season program he would have been taking part so um look you you know it's always a concern when you've had broken bones in your back two years running but uh i think by all accounts uh you know he's healthy and ready to go for 2020
5: Well that's a hope cuz he was on i mean he was on a tear in the beginning of the season before he got injured he really looked like he was clicking with the offense the weapons are coming into their own with Kenny Galladay. and and they didn't even have Marvin Jones for a lot of time too so he was really on his way up, uh, do you believe that he could possibly uh, repeat that MVP-like performance that we saw uh, in the beginning of the season?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, look, you know, I, I think you're right. He was playing some of his best football. I mean, obviously, he had uh, you know, more yards in, in 2011 and, and, you know, had a pretty good year under Jim Bob Cooter a couple years ago. But I do think he and, and Daryl Bevel were, were really in sync with that offense. I think he has some of the best weapons he's ever had around him. Um, you know Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, pretty good threesome at wide receiver. T.J. Hawkinson should have a, a nice year in year two at, at tight end, and and now he's got a couple running backs too. So um, I think there's a there's a lot to like about Stafford. Um, I do think there, you know, maybe I'm uh, this is the unpopular opinion, but uh, you know I do think there might be a, a little bit of regression in store just because um, you know defenses they sort of get used to a coordinator in in year two of of what they're trying to do with their team. So. Um, you know, maybe he doesn't throw for five thousand yards, which he was on um, pace for when he got hurt. But uh, I think he'll have another good year nonetheless.
5: Yeah, that's what we're hoping for too. He is one of my sleeper quarterbacks that we can get kind of later on. A lot of people looking for that regression, but he's a guy that I think he's going to be solid week in and week out for fantasy starters. But speaking to the running back situation, because that's the other that's the other fantasy headache that we're all having right now is what is this rotation between DeAndre Swift and Carryon Johnson really going to look like when the season comes along?
2: Well, look, they, they spent a, a high second round pick on Swift not to sit him on the bench. So he's going to play a lot. But I think just given the constraints of, of the offseason, given everything that's going on in the world, um, you know, I'd, I'd be surprised if he was your starter week one. Um, you know, if on Johnson is healthy, I think he probably, uh, at least off the bat, you know, is, is getting the, the most run. You know, he's, he's going to be the most solid in pass protection right away. So maybe that leads to some more third down work. Um, but again, you know DeAndre Swift is a guy that they're very high on, and the fact that they took him 35th overall, you know, don't expect them to to be sitting. So, um, look, it, it, drafting a Lions running back is probably a risky proposition uh, if you're playing for the long term for the season. Uh, you know, maybe maybe Swift is getting a little more run as, as the year goes on, so maybe he's the guy you want on your team in December.
5: Yeah, I was going to ask about that because when we're, when we're midway through the season and they've both had time on their belts and everything like that. What do you think it's going to be at that point? Like right now, I have it more DeAndre Swift possibly getting a little bit more of the passing down work. Maybe carry on still gets that goal line work. Do you think that's correct?
2: Yeah. I mean, um, I, I, truthfully, I don't know. And, and I don't know that they know. I mean, I think you're right that, you know, Swift is, you know, he, he played, you know, a handful of snaps at slot receiver, you know, they Georgia would line him up there a little bit. Um, so I, I think the lions could use both those guys in the backfield together. Uh, but look, they, they like what carry provided as a, as a receiving back too. And, you know, I think carry has some, um, maybe a little more versatility than, than people give him credit for. So, um, I think it's going to be an interesting thing to follow. I wish I had more answers for you right now, but the fact that neither one of those guys has been on the field much with this offense or at all in in Swift's case, um, I think the Lions are still sort of figuring out what that rotation is going to be.
5: Oh, yeah. And that's been the headache in and of itself. And that's why I like talking to you guys, because you can really lay it down what the reality of the situation is for a lot of people in my industry that we're going to project anyway. But it seems like a lot of people are are acting like they as if they know. And uh, that's why I appreciate you coming on and like, hey, right right now, the reality of the situation is we don't really know. The Lions don't know. Nobody really actually knows. Uh, So you just kind of have your best estimated guess at this point. One of the reasons Matthew Stafford had such a great season, though, was because of Kenny Galladay really taking, it yep. looked like to me, took a step up. Um, and it, one of the best you know, seasons any wide receiver has had is, how is he still going to fly under the radar this season, though, it seems like? Can he, can he produce what he did last year? Yeah, I
2: do. I think he can have a year similar to last year and you know, maybe he's going to better. I mean, you think about it, you know, played half the season without the NFL touchdown still top the thousand yards so I think he's in store for another big year you know he's going to get a a big contract here you know maybe next month August I think you know the Lions are still in line to, to pay him even though some of those those contractual talks have slowed across the league um, you know, so maybe that uh, maybe he won't be flying under the radar anymore when he's making $16 million a year, whatever he's going to be making. But right. um, I think you should expect a, a similar year from him in terms of, uh, you know, a lot of red zone work. You know, maybe he's going to score some touchdowns. I don't think you have to worry about that. You know, maybe it's not 12, but he's still going to get you eight or nine or 10 or something, you know, some some very respectable number. So um, I'm, I'd be a buyer on, on Kenny Galladay in fantasy football.
5: No, I absolutely, I have him in my top 10. I think he's going to have a great season. And frankly, I think we all need to come up with a different nickname other than Babytron for him pretty soon if he keeps performing like this. Uh, but his counterpart, Marvin Jones, he flies even more under the radar. Maybe it's just the Detroit thing. I don't know what it is. But he, when he's on the field, he produces at an incredible rate. It's just a matter of him staying healthy throughout. Uh, it, do you think he is somebody who could possibly go for maybe 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns in his own right if he can play 16 games?
2: Yeah, I mean you look at the numbers he was on pace for last year and he certainly would have had certainly would have had those numbers um you know I the the one thing I, I I mean he has been injured each of the last two years so uh I'm not sure um how that's going to uh yeah I mean he's healthy now but I think that's something that you have to be cautious of um but yeah I, I think he's in for another big year um remember he's in a contract year too so maybe that's something you want to gamble on a little bit
5: Yeah, he's definitely going to have a little bit of the extra motivation. I surprisingly, I have him uh, as a wide receiver three just because the numbers are there, and I'm only projecting him for about 12 games, and I still have him that high because I do expect the Detroit offense in general to be able to produce, especially for those two wide receivers. I think the question becomes, is there a third receiver on this roster that maybe we should pay attention to?
2: Well, I mean, Amendola is going to be the number three receiver. I don't know if he's going to put up huge numbers, the numbers that really command you. You know, owning him on your roster every week, depending on how how deep your league is, um, you know, certainly he's a uh, especially a, a bi week target, or who knows how Corona wrecks havoc with things. I mean, he's a he's a situational play, I think. Uh, you know, he's going to play mostly out of the slot, uh, and so maybe if if there's a matchup that um, you know there's a weaker slot receiver. Then our slot cornerback, I'm sorry, then it's something that uh, that you want him on your team. But look, it, it's not just those three. You know, you got to realize that the running backs are going to catch some passes too, and, and the tight end, especially TJ Hawkinson. So um, I don't know that the, the, the volume is going to quite be there to, to own Danny Amendola in, in most leagues.
5: Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I think he's nothing more like you said, maybe a waiver pickup here and there, depending if he's healthy and how things are going on the trend. You mentioned TJ Hawkinson. I have big hopes for this guy. I liked what I saw his rookie season. A lot of people seem to be kind of soured on him after that. I'm like, look, this is a guy who's a rookie tight end. Rookie tight ends don't normally produce. And if he doesn't have some of the drops that he had in the red zone, we're looking at a guy who would have been in the top 10. What do you think TJ Hawkinson's season is going to be like this year?
2: Yeah, look, I mean, Hawkinson's in for a little bit better year. I mean, look, it's sort of like we talked about with Swift, right? That, that you don't draft a guy that high unless you have high hopes for him. And we saw in very limited, you know, work last year, obviously, he had the, the huge week one and then the number sort of fell off. And um, but, but I would expect him to be a, a bigger part of the Lions offense. I mean, what they want to do is they want to be a two tight end
3: team. You know,
5: uh, Dave, can you hear us? I think we might have lost you there for a second. Hello. Uh, we're gonna work to get Dave back here, having a little bit of technical difficulties. We're gonna try to get him back on the phone in just a second. Everybody, at MD Nation, just hold, hold on for one, one moment, please, as we get him back on here. Um, but yeah, a lot of the information he's talking about right now is is spot on. And as soon as we get him back on the line, as you can hear it ringing in in the uh, the background here, we're gonna get back on the line, and start talking about TJ Hawkinson a little bit more. Dave, Hello? do we have you again?
2: Yeah, sorry about that. I got in my car and went to Bluetooth.
5: <laughs> no, not not a, not a problem at all. Um we, uh, yeah, finish your thought on uh, Hawkinson there.
2: Yeah, look, Hawkinson is um you know as I was saying, he he's he's not a guy that um you know the that the Lions took high to not play. You know they want him on the field, they want him playing, and they want to involve him in the offense. And and so I don't know that he's going to be a guy that's going to put up Travis Kelsey type numbers or Zach Ertz type numbers. I mean the, the Lions have too many weapons on, on offense to, to for that to happen. I think, um, but. Uh, I do think the Lions, they want to be they want to play two tight ends. That's what they want their offense to be. So he's going to play a bigger role. I think you can expect more consistency out of TJ Hawkinson this fall.
5: Yeah, I completely agree with that. And, And this guy is a physical freak and he can block. That's the key thing. Tight ends who can block are going to be utilized so well in the red zone. They're going to have that opportunity just kind of built in on top of this is a guy who has the talent to be a featured weapon in the offense. and I think it's only a matter of time before that winds up happening as well. And you're going to see that uh, volume kind of get bumped up with that. Uh, one of the last things to talk about from a fan's perspective, not that a lot of people are going to be using the Detroit Lions defense, but out of curiosity, maybe their matchup's going against them. Losing Darius Slay, what is that going to do to this defense? Do you think the draft capital that they spent, especially early in the first round, is going to be able to offset that in any kind of way?
2: Yeah, I would, I would stay away from Lions defense in, in most regards. I mean, um, you know, they, look, they went out this half season. They got six new starters, right? They, they got a new defensive coordinator, even though Matt Patricia is still the one that's calling the plays. Uh, you know, you got a rookie cornerback who I think is going to be a really good player, but there are some, um, you know, growing pains that, that come with being a young player at that position. And, and then, you know, you throw into account, you take into account this offseason and the way things have gone. I just, um, I don't know that the continuity will be there, that the, the playmaking will be there, the turnovers, the sacks. Uh, they they didn't do much to improve that defensive line, so I think they're um, I, it really would take a wait and see approach with them. Um, and the, the biggest thing that would concern me is is still just the the lack of pressure they're they're able to get from that front seven. And uh, we all know that uh, even though you know Matt Patricia's defense, the, the, even you know the, the Patriots' defenses, they're not necessarily built on great pass rushers, uh, but The way I see the Lions, I just don't know that they're going to get enough pressure to create some of the turnovers that you need to be a really good fan of defense.
5: No, I agree with that. And and like I said, they're probably a defense that you're going to be looking at marking on your calendar. If you have somebody going against them, it's going to be a little bit better off. Uh, Dave, we talked about a little bit in the beginning of the uh, interview here, but what do you think the NFL will start on time? Is that going to be your opinion or no?
2: I, I think they're going to do everything they can, everything in their power to start on time. You know, whether that happens or not, you know I, again, I, I have my doubts. I mean, I, I, I think like most people, I expect everybody to report to training camp late July. You know I, I don't think we will see the first preseason game or two. I think there will be that ramp-up period. I think the NFL wants to start as it's scheduled, so maybe we'll only see a couple preseason games. And, and frankly, it's better to get the season started than it is to wait, because if there is a second work we'll event, it's a shut
5: yeah, uh, I definitely understand you on, on, on that one. Uh, I'm just trying to stay positive, but the uh, reality of the situation is we there really could be a delay here at the very least. Uh, Dave, it was a great interview with you. I appreciate you coming on. We are not
2: be able to finish. I'm sorry? Yeah, I was just saying I do have my concerns that they're not going to be able to, to finish the season
5: oh yeah I, well that that's my concern too if you get started will, if you have a fall surge are we going to be able to get through it all too i, I think I, honestly i'm more concerned about that than i think i am about the start of the season uh, i think we i think i, I think yeah I cut off there a little bit that's why i didn't hear you all the way sorry about that um yeah so dave you're a great interview i'm glad you came on i appreciate you coming on can you tell everybody you know what's something you're working on soon and everybody uh where to follow you at one more time
2: Right now, I'm working on uh, getting some rest and relaxation with the family. i awesome. <laughs> got awesome. a couple couple weeks of vacation here. But, uh, you know, always for our, our Lions coverage on Freep.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Dave Burkett, D-I-R-K-E-T-T.
5: Excellent. Excellent. Dave, I hope to talk to you again soon and have fun on your vacation and keep staying healthy.
2: Appreciate it. We'll talk to you again. Awesome.
5: And that was Dave Perkett of the Detroit Free Press talking about the Detroit Lions. I hope you guys all enjoyed the show. Once again, we had a lot of great guests in today's episode. We got through a lot of inside information that hopefully will help you guys out as we move forward for the draft. We're getting closer and closer. We're coming up on July. Next week is the beginning of July. Is July 4th next Saturday. So we are getting that much closer to hopefully having football, you know, pandemic-related events. Uh, you know, questionable marks there, but we're moving forward. A lot of people, as you've heard in these interviews, as I've asked the questions on the end of these interviews to each one of these insiders, has been getting progressively positive. We know we're seeing some spikes now, but hopefully things will work out because we need it to. And in the meantime, we're going to keep giving you the best fantasy football content that we possibly can. Like I talked about when we talked about the Seattle Seahawks earlier in the show, the projections and rankings are going to be up within the next few days maybe as late as the beginning of next week but the projections are in the rankings will be done soon we'll have the tier rankings up for you and of course you can already find the belly up fantasy writers consensus rankings on the website fantasy sports.com so all that's coming to you we're going to be back next week with another episode with another lineup of great guests for you guys we're rolling through here with the team profile series we got a few more to go before we cover all 32 teams very excited to get through the rest of that with you guys and hopefully you'll be back next week Everyone stay safe and we'll see you again real, real soon.
0: Thank you for listening to Belly Up Sports, MD's fantasy football show. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.